Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. I am thrilled to introduce you to our sponsor, Windshape Marriage. Their weekend retreats will strengthen your marriage and you will enjoy this gorgeous setting, delicious food, and quality time with your spouse. To find out more, visit them online at windshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. I want to say a quick thank you to my friend, Julie. I'm actually getting to record at her house today as we had windstorms last night and knocked out our internet for this morning. So thank you, Julie, for making today's episode possible. I'm excited to have Dr. Clarence Schuler and Dr. Gary Chapman as my returning guests today. They recently released a helpful book that walks us through improving race relations. Near the beginning of their book, they share how in America in the 1960s and 70s, we were making giant steps forward in racial relations with the integration of schools, restaurants, and other public facilities. Now we find ourselves half a century later appearing to still have made little progress in racial understanding. And they write, the obvious question is why? Why have we made so little progress in living together in the United States of America? We believe it's because we have failed on the interpersonal level in relating to those of a different race or culture. Most Americans do not have a close personal friend of another race. We may have casual acquaintances, but not close friendships. So now we're going to discuss how and why to pursue what has become the title of their newest book, Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Clarence and Gary. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Well, the two of you initially developed your friendship during a time when your community was navigating desegregation. So will you share the story of how you met and how your friendship grew over time? Well, uh, I had a friend named Russell, and Russell was going to an integrated school and these girls at his school, integrated school, these white girls invited him to their gym to play basketball. And I love basketball. And he also didn't want to be the only black guy there. So he invited me to go with him. And our family had this huge family conference where we could go to a white church or not. But once they said we could, we walked to Gary's church, which was about four miles away. And once we crossed the railroad tracks, you know, people started throwing bottles at us, calling us names. And uh, we, su- we survived that and we got into the church and there were about 100 white kids and everything went quiet and people kind of looked. And then the girls who had invited Russell came to get him. I went to the basketball court and then this tall, slender white guy came over to the basketball court and introduced himself and said, hey, I'm Gary Chapman. I'm glad you're here. And that kind of started our relationship. Yeah, it was really, uh, have to keep in mind, this was in the late 60s, when in North Carolina, where both of us lived at the time, uh, there was a lot of racial tension. I mean, the National Guard was called out on the streets. Uh, the Ku Klux Klan at one time marched downtown until the Black Panthers got there. Uh, so there was a lot of tension. And so 
for these two black faces to walk into all these white faces. <laughs> so my adult leaders kind of pointed and pointed to me and said, do you, as if to say, do you see that, you know? And I just kind of held up my hand as though, yeah, it's all right. It's all right, you know? And at any rate, uh, after we finished our game time, I always gave a devotional time to pull all the kids together. And then we had some refreshments and so forth. But when things were over that night, I said to Clarence and to Russell, listen, guys, we're here every Tuesday night, and you guys are always welcome. And they started coming on a regular basis. So that that's where our relationship started. <laughs> and it's lasted now for over 50 years. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That is wild. Over 50 years. What a great example. But if you go back again, even early on, there was a misunderstanding between the two of you. But <laughs> you worked it out with patience and humility. So will you let us in on that story as well? Well, yeah, well, you know, Clarence out. mentioned it was four, it was four miles that they had to walk. And so, uh, I went by to pick them up, uh, pretty early on to bring them on Tuesday night. And the first time I pulled up in front of Clarence's house and he and James, which is another friend of his, that were that night when it was there and uh, they were going to come with me. And I got out of the car, walked toward the house and I said, you boys ready to go? And his friend James said, I ain't no boy. And I said, okay, James, I think we need to talk. So why don't we, after the meeting's over tonight, why don't the three of us sit down and I want you to tell me why you reacted that way. And so we did. Clarence, I don't know. Conversation must have been a couple hours that, that night. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. What they explained to me was, they said, you know, our fathers as grown men are sometimes called boys by white men. And they told us, don't ever let a white man call you boy. And I said, oh, guys, I had no idea that that word was used that way. Uh, yeah, man, I am sorry. I just apologize, you know, because I didn't realize it was a derogatory term to them, a put down to them. And then after I had listened to them and, and, uh, and expressed my apology, I said, guys, let me just share my side. I said, if I were picking up two white guys your age, which was they were just mid-teenagers, I would have called them boys. Because to me, the word boy means age, and it has nothing to do with race. But I said, you know, I, I get you. I hope you. I hope you're hearing me. You know, and they did. So, you know, it was just it was our first time of running into a misunderstanding over the meaning of a word boys and often in a cross-cultural relationship uh, you will run into these things where something you say it comes across to the other person in a totally different way than what you intended and so that's why listening to each other is so important as you build a friendship across racial and cultural lines and clarence anything that you would add to that story as well well i thought what was good about it was <clears throat> at first he didn't get defensive and and he heard us. I mean, we were boys. I mean, uh, Russell was 13. I was 14. But he, he showed us respect. He listened. Uh, we listened to him. And, and we thought it was really important. So because that first meeting could have been our last because uh, that was a real big deal seeing our dads uh, call boy in a derogatory way. And so when he was able to talk to us and listen to us and we, he apologized right away, um, 
so that, that just really helped us. And so after that, he could have called his boy, but he never did. And, you know, I, I've one of the tips, uh, what I call loving actions that really define true friendship is what I call you learn to embrace and work and work mutually through conflict. And that's what we did. And just like in a marriage, when you have a cross-cultural friendship, you're going to misunderstand each other. But if you work through the conflict correctly, uh, it actually makes you closer because he learned something about us. We learned something about him. And that made our relationship closer. And I think that's why it's such a relatable story, because relationships or friendships will inevitably have conflict. So what are a few of those ways to resolve conflict specifically in a cross-cultural friendship? I think one thing is you have to both be honest. Mm-hmm. And by, by which I mean, if something really does hit you in a in a wrong way, you need to share it with the other person. Because if he hadn't if he had not shared that, I would never have known that they had taken that as a put down, and they would have lived with the sense of I put them down. So you know, I think the person that's hurt or the person you know that feels uncomfortable by what was said has to be honest and open and share with the other person how they are taking that, how they are understanding that. Clarence, would you agree with that? And what do you think would come after that? Well, I think uh, I think the first thing that we said uh, we do need to uh, do that. I think communication is to relationships what location is to you know real estate. You have to communicate, communicate, communicate. And then I think the thing Gary said here too: you can't assume nothing and talk about everything. So in that early stage, when we really didn't know each other, it was important that we said that uh, or expressed our concern. Just like when Gary would express his concerns. So I, I think you need to listen. I think you want to listen for understanding. And another thing we talk about in the book, sometimes you have to learn to agree, uh, to disagree agreeably. But if you listen and show respect, and, and the key in that is really gaining understanding. And then so Gary said, Oh, I understand now. Then that changes how we how we proceed with each other. So uh and understanding does not always equal agreement. But a lot of times, if we understand, that can sometimes lead us to agreement. So I think not being defensive, really want to hear the other side, try to understand the other side. Those are really important principles in working through conflict that's going to be mutually beneficial to both. And if we go really big picture, why do you think that God celebrates diversity? Well, he's a God of difference. You know, it's it's like when God created humans, well, he created one human race, but within that human race, he created two different kinds of humans, your male and female. And in that process, that he creates a what I call an interdependency. And then that interdependency creates a unity that glorifies God. And, and an interdependency is necessary because we need each other. And so what happened with Gary and me I needed Gary, especially here the gospel, and maybe in some kind of ways he needed me. I'm not sure if he needed me as much as I needed him. But uh, but in that relationship, let's say I wanted I wanted to have a relationship with you. <laughs> so so I think I, I think that I did that that and and also I think when we get to know each other, we see a different glimpse of God because we see God through a different perspective. So it's just a a really special thing that he does diversity. But if you look at all creation, it's very, very diverse. But he has it in the context of coming, of being one within that context. And you even write how Jesus is a model for us here because he initiated cross-cultural relationships as well. 
Yeah, I think when Jesus, for example, went into uh, Samaria and encountered the woman from Samaria, he was going against the culture of the day because the Jews had nothing to do with the Samaritans. And uh, Jesus crossed that line and engaged her in conversation and all of that. Uh, Clarence, you know, you, you, we deal with that in the book. It's a pretty amazing right. story. Right. Well, you know, Gary always says that I took a risk to come to the gym, but you know, but I thought he took a risk to develop a friendship with me outside the gym. And, you know, with a Samaritan woman, you know, he broke it. Jesus broke a traditional Jewish law by even going through Samaria. Then when a woman, he talked to the Samaritan woman that made him ceremonially unclean. And but then he met her on her turf. Uh, he just did so many things to create a safe place for her. But he actually risked the disciples to stop following him because he's breaking a Jewish law. So I think if we're going to build relationships, sometimes cross-culturally, we have to take risks. And it's so worthwhile. It's worth the risk. And could you just paint a picture now? What are we missing out on by not seeking cross-cultural friendships? Well, I think one thing is we fail to understand each other. Mm. You know, I think most of us agree that we have a lot of racial tension, cultural tensions, cross-cultural tensions in our country. And a part of that is that we don't understand each other. We we each stay in our own group, and we don't we don't interface and make friendships where we can really talk honestly about you know our perceptions about things and, and our differences culturally. You know, my my one of my backgrounds educationally was cultural anthropology. I did an undergrad and a master's in cultural anthropology. Cultures are very different. Uh, it's not just a, a racial thing. It's a cultural thing as well. And if we're going to understand, you know, and have a, 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 a civil world, <laughs> we have to get to know people in other cultures so that we can understand each other and not and not be at odds with each other because of misunderstanding. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's that's a a part of why we really need to develop uh, cross-cultural relationships. I think another thing is, and part of the reason we don't know each other or don't understand each other, I think sometimes there's a fear of the unknown. And so I think it's easy for people to always want to be like people who are just like them. And then we're afraid to know somebody who's different because we don't know how that might cause us to change. And so I think that's why it's important to use your curiosity to listen, to inquire, to learn, to grow and become students of each other. But and as you learn each other, you tend to alleviate that fear. And then you learn, hey, they're, hey, they're kind of like me, or hey, this is something new I never thought about. And it increases your, or improves your worldview from, I think, a biblical perspective, because now, just like God does, we're learning to love other people who may not look like us, and who may not even act like us in some ways. Yeah, I think another factor is that, you know, if we if we build relationships, the Christian purpose of building relationships is so we can enrich each other's lives. And that's what friendship's all about. We both have an attitude. It's what love is all about. Uh, you, we want to enrich the other person's life. But how can you do that if you don't mm -hmm. know what their needs are? You know, uh, maybe you're talking to someone you don't know. Maybe they have a a food need. Maybe maybe they're hungry. Well, okay, then let's get a hamburger. But sometimes it's emotional needs and things. So friendship has to do with getting to know a person well enough that each of you learn how you 
can use your life and your personality and your gifts and all of that to enrich the life of the other person. And it's always a two way street. It's not just, you know, one person doing the giving. We're both giving out of, out of what we have to try to help the other person. And, and that's where life finds great satisfaction is in really loving other people deeply. And Philippians 2, uh, you know, verses two, I think two through four talks about not to look out just for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so I think as we study and learn about what's important to other people, we might not necessarily agree with the things they agree with, but at least we we learn them. And the more we study about other people, uh, the more we learn about ourselves. I was a history major and, and historiography talks about that, that the more we learn about other people or the cultures, we actually learn more about ourselves. So it's really a great thing that's important. And then, as Gary says, it's a great way for us to learn how to uh, make disciples, to share the gospel, and then to disciple them. Because I think for Gary and I, what really made us close was after he introduced me to Jesus, he began to disciple me every every Saturday at his house. And what did that look like, that season of discipleship? Well, again, I had to walk to his house. He probably didn't even notice when I when I went to his house and I, again had to cross those railroad tracks and get serenaded uh, by different words and uh, <laughs> <laughs> obstacles. But, uh, you know, the first time I got to his house, his next door neighbor, uh, she gave him a look that really concerned me. I, I was used to having that look where I was concerned by him and his family, their safety. But when we got in the house, we went on the back porch and he would just open the word of God to me, explain it. And I think even when we went to the gym to play basketball, when he would lead a, a group, he didn't really lecture us. He asked questions. And so I remember, though, we were going through First John and he would talk about it and he would have me memorize scripture. And that was the first time I really well, we had Sunday school at my church where I went to. But that was the first time I actually could ask questions and interact and try and get explanations. And he would share things. And it was really, it was pretty cool. You know, it was, it was really exciting. And then also I was going to forbidden territory. So that was intriguing too, as a, a 14 year old and as a, well, 17 year old then, and as a risk taker. So that was, it was really fun. And I got to meet his family as well. Let's take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. I'm so excited to share today's sponsor, Windshape Marriage, with you. Windshape Marriage is a fantastic ministry that helps couples prepare, strengthen, and if needed, even save their marriage. Windshape Marriage is grounded on the belief that the strongest marriages are the ones that are nurtured, even if it seems like things are going smoothly. That way, they'll be stronger if they do hit a bump along their marital journey. Through their weekend retreats, Windshape Marriage invites couples to enjoy time away to simply focus on each other. These weekend retreats are hosted within the beautiful refuge of Windshape Retreat, perched in the mountains of Rome, Georgia, which is just a short drive from Atlanta, Birmingham, and Chattanooga. While you and your spouse are there, you'll be well-fed, well-nurtured, and well-cared for. During your time away in this beautiful place, you and your spouse will learn from expert speakers and explore topics related to intimacy, overcoming challenges, improving communication, and so much more. I've stayed on site at Windshape before, and I can attest to their generosity, food, and content. You will be so grateful you went. To find an experience that's right for you and your spouse, head to their website, windshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. Clarence, it sounds like you grew up then going to Sunday school, but you also mentioned you needed this friendship with Gary to be introduced to the gospel. I'm not sure if I'm saying that exactly how you said it, 
But is that part of your testimony of how you came to know Jesus and surrender your life to him is through your friendship with Gary? Yeah, well, I was I was a drug baby. And so every time the doors of church are open, my parents drug me to church. And so we uh, we went to a black church, a very, <laughs> a very prestigious black church. My pastor had a Ph.D., really sharp guy. And I was always into stuff. So he may have shared the gospel in church. If he did, I just didn't hear it. But when I started going to, to the church to play ball and, and Gary do his little Bible studies, that kind of intrigued me about a personal relationship with Jesus. And so I watched Gary for two years because I really didn't want a white guy to lead me to Christ, but I realized I needed Jesus more than worried about the color of his skin. And so Gary did introduce me to Christ in 1970 at a retreat. And then after that, he started discipling me. And so, and we've been together ever since. And so, uh, so yeah, he, he had a big role and he was the instrument God used to, uh, to introduce me to Christ. And it, and it really changed my life. I mean, it was, uh, changed my worldview because I was going to be a black Panther until I became a Christian because I was not going to take all the stuff I saw my dad take. So I had a pretty short life expectancy, but I was just, I was not going to do that. But but once I, Gary introduced me to Christ, that uh, that radically changed my life, my worldview, and created more uncertainty too. Because there, you know, as Gary mentioned, there's a lot of racial tension. So to have a white friend would cause the black community to ask me, "Am I really black?" You know, and so that was that was a lot of stuff going on there. Wow, yeah, a lot of complexity. But I'm hearing the bravery with. The- a lot of your actions, you didn't just think something, you took action on that. And I think that took a lot of courage. And it seems like God's really honored that really with both of you. Yeah, I think it was a time of great tension. And that was that kind of compounded the problem. And and, and today, it's a different kind of tension. There's still tension, you know. But I think we, if we begin to see people as individuals and relate to a person as an individual, then we can remove some of those preconceptions or things we've been told about another race or another culture and realize that, you know, they're human. They're made in God's image, just like me. And when they give their life to Christ, we're brothers or we're brothers and sisters uh, in Christ. And so uh, then, we, you know, the relationship grows from that juncture. Absolutely. And just to add One more thing, if we are circling back to what else we may be missing out on by not engaging in different relationships with people who are different from us, you write on page 127, cross-cultural friendships leave a positive legacy for generations to come. I have the sense that such lifelong friendships also bring joy to God. Yeah, and and the illustration of that in our relationship is, you know, my children, after a while, began to consider uh, Clarence as their brother. I mean, they were young; they were they were younger than Clarence, and but he would come to our house also on Friday nights because I started having a college group every Friday night, and he was in high school, but I invited him to come. And our kids got to know him, and, and you know, and then they're facing on Saturday mornings, and now they're grown, but they still call him brother. And his three his three daughters who are also grown, they call me your grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, a real friendship involves not only the two of you, but your children, and then hopefully your children's children. 
so I think uh, it, it, it's you don't you don't do it just to set a model for others. You do it because you know God puts it on your heart to reach out to people who are different from you and build a friendship. And of course, that's the theme of our book. Yes, what if every Christian in this country had at least one really close personal friend of a different race or culture? We believe it could have a tremendous impact on the general culture. Laura, you know, in the book, um, there's a letter that Gary and his entire family wrote to my girls, and they were babies as twins. My first two as twins. And it's this really powerful letter that um, when they got older, they were able to read it, and, and they, they teared up reading it, that knowing that here this guy, Gary, and his family, his wife and kids, you know, loved them and were praying for them as, as little babies. And, you know, one of the benefits of cross-cultural friendships is that it, it expands your, your worldview. And then one of the, the quotes I made when we got married, Brenda, let me help write our vows. And, and it's like, we're better together for God's glory than we are apart. And I think that's what God wants us to see. And so as we, as Gary said, if we look at people as individuals, we always need to give people the benefit of the doubt and not go by first, second, or sometimes third impressions, because we're more of a self-centered culture, I think, today than ever before. But those cross-cultural friendships create uh, just a different perspective. And I think they give us more peace. And I think they ultimately really improve race relations uh, beyond us because other people, our friends and family and peers, learn to be trust people who are different. Like my family did with Gary. I mean, I watched my mom and dad learn to trust Gary, you know, with me. It goes beyond just the two people in a cross-cultural friendship. I couldn't agree with you more. And thinking back, Clarence, when you initially came on the podcast, you were with your wife, Brenda, and I think we connected over both being parents of only girls and multiple girls. Yes. So when you had your daughter, will you take us back to that story of introducing her to Gary? Well, we came back home. I had twins. You know, we first had twins. So uh, we come back. I think the girls were, I don't know, maybe nine months old because Brenda's parents lived in... um, we're in Maryland, and my mom, was in, my mom was in North Carolina. My dad had passed and gone to be the Lord. So we get, we're with Gary and Carolyn, right, uh, Gary's wife, and we're going to this restaurant, uh, K&W. And so I'm holding Christina, my oldest twin, by five minutes. And all of a sudden, Gary grabs Christina out of my arms, and he starts running through this restaurant and telling everybody, hey, look, here's my grandbaby, here's my grandbaby. And I was cracking up because, you know, the white people were looking, there's mostly white people, and they were looking at this guy with this black baby running through the, the cafeteria. And so I look at his wife, Carolyn, and, and in bewilderment, and she says, honey, it's his first grandbaby. He, he'll, he'll be okay. <laughs> and so, uh, so we laughed. And, and, uh, but it was, just, it was just so funny. But, you know, it, it touched my heart that he's, he looked at our girls as his grandkids, and I was just that was just huge to me, especially my dad being in heaven and hear this guy, you know, come and be like my dad, loving my girls as well. It was just, um, it's hard to really express how it made me feel. And Brenda as well. I love that story. Thank you for sharing. And you're right. It may feel more comfortable initially befriending someone like us. Yet, I think we have a lot to learn, especially from your book on how to pursue friendships with people different from us. So what would you both say are the key ingredients needed for a cross-cultural friendship? 
You know, I think maybe the starting place for a Christian is just to start talking to God about the possibility of developing cross-cultural friendships. Because most of us, this is not on the front burner of, of most people. I, this is what I really want to do. I think if we, if we start discussing this with God and say, is there someone, you know, with whom I maybe have an acquaintance, or at least I see them on a regular basis, uh, is there someone of a different race or culture that you would like for me to build a friendship with? And I think, God, you do that prayer, God's going to answer you. He'll show you, you know, somebody. And uh, I think that's where it starts. But then I think, I'd say the next thing is what I call courtesy. Mm -hmm. You know, that word courtesy uh, comes from two Greek words. One means the mind and the other means friend. So it's to be friendly minded. That is, it's to think of other people and treat other people as though they were a friend. And if you start doing that, you know, treating other people, somewhat of a different race or culture, like you would treat a friend, you're taking the first steps to build a relationship. It would begin likely with a conversation. You know, if you met a friend in the grocery store, you wouldn't just walk by them and not speak to them. You would stop and have a little conversation with your friend. Well, if you encounter someone of a different race or culture in the grocery store, what if you stopped, looked them in the face, you know, and then said, good morning, how are you doing? You know, just a little conversation. The next time you see them, a little longer conversation <laughs> is treat them like you treat a friend and they may become a friend. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I one thing that I do now before the book, but maybe even more so because of the book, is that really when I see someone, I, I I try and catch people in their eyes and just and just say hello, just nod or say hello. And sometimes people smile. Most people smile. Or if I can say, get close to them and say, hello, how are you doing or whatever, then you never know what happens. Gary and I both fly a lot. So when people sit beside me, uh, sometimes I pray for divine appointments. And just saying hello can um, comfort someone who's nervous about flying or make someone say feel better if they're having a hard day. And so it's just a great way to show that courtesy and then leave the results to God. You never know what happens. And you know, if they put the earbuds in, you know, leave them alone. But if other times they'll talk to you during the whole flight. So I just think we need to do that. And I think when people see people of different cultures initiating being friendly, it helps all of us to say, well, they're not all that way. And, and like Gary said earlier, it helps us go back to think, treat people and think of people as individuals, not a whole race. And is there anything you'd either one like to speak to about how someone could overcome the fear of developing a cross-cultural friendship? Well, I don't know. I, I think the praying about it, asking God to do that, maybe get some friends to, to talk about it, again, seek to be friendly. But I think ultimately it's, it's a faith thing. And, and one of the ways of overcoming that is uh, to say, okay, God, I'm going to step out by faith. And I'm going to try and get out of my comfort zone. And I'm going to ask somebody. It's, I can't speak for girls, but it, I, sometimes I say it's kind of like for a guy trying to date. You want to ask a girl out, but you don't want to be told no. But you can never get yes if you don't ever ask. And so it's, it's sort of a risk. But a lot of times I think it's worth the risk. And if even they say no, it doesn't mean everybody else will say no. So I just, it's, or it's like sharing the gospel. You know, it's like, 
as God leads us to build, you know, try and share the gospel, uh, sometimes cold turkey, we do that. And some people are interested and some people aren't. And we kind of leave the results to God. I mean, does that make sense? That definitely makes sense. And kind of combining all of that, I love the verse that you both use in the book that's Proverbs 18.24. And it says, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. And I think you're laying out just some ways to do that. Yeah, you know, one of the hopes I have is that pastors will lead their staff through this book because I can almost guarantee you there are literally thousands of pastors and and pastoral staff members who do not have a close personal friend of a different race or culture. And and we're the leaders. So I would say discuss this with your staff. Have a have a study for a few weeks on this concept. And as you begin to sit, begin to build a friendship, then maybe start a class in the church and let them kind of work through it. You don't just preach from the pulpit one time about this. It's a thing that if you're doing it as a, a group discussing and each of you sharing your experiences with each other, you're going to encourage each other as you begin to build friendships. Hey, Gary, I want to just give you an example of that. You know, you and I spoke together about this in Chattanooga, and then you and I did that Five Love Language Marriage Conference in Chattanooga, and you've been back since. Well, there's a black and white pastor in Chattanooga that read the book, and somehow they they knew each other, but they challenged each other to read the book. Now that they read the book, they um, got their staffs to read the book, and they actually started meeting together as staffs. And then the other thing uh, they did, they, they called me and said, what else can we do? And I said, well, a lot of times churches of different cultures will exchange pulpits and exchange choirs. And I said, that's okay, but why don't you guys go deeper? Why don't you have put your choirs together and, and challenge them to write a song about racial unity? And so they're in the process of doing that. And then, Gary, guess what? This weekend— that black and white pastor talked to 365 youth pastors about our book and challenged them to do that with their churches and their youth groups. So uh, it's really it's exciting to hear that stuff like that is happening as a result of the book. Yeah, yeah absolutely. If this vision could touch the hearts of Christians, and it's going to happen, if that happens, it's going to happen through the church, and they can begin to experience this, it'll begin to revolutionize the climate in our country. There is an exciting project taking place behind the scenes right now, and I would love to invite you to participate. I will give you more details as I'm able, but for now, here's my request. Will you email me your personal story of a specific way God has clearly shown up in your life? Big or small, I want to hear an account of the way He made Himself known to you and maybe received credit for an answered prayer or a way he worked out a situation in a miraculous way, or how he displayed his power in your life. There's no limit to the type of story to submit, as long as it's true. So please email me your story at this email address, info at thesavvysauce.com. I can't wait to read your story. Thanks for sharing. Well, you also write the word colorblind in the context of culture or race relations can actually be unintentionally misleading and may stimulate negative emotions. So will you elaborate on that? Well, I do a lot of diversity consulting for the general population and Christians as well. 
And a lot of times people of color who've been wounded because of discrimination, when someone says they're colorblind, the thing that comes to their mind is, well, you don't see me. And if you don't see me, you don't value me. And then if you're colorblind or all the people you see, are they all white or all black or all brown? It, it causes a lot of questions. And, and a lot of times the people who use the term colorblind, they may have really good intentions, but they're sort of missing the boat, especially when see God has real emphasis on diversity. And so, and, and often when someone says they're colorblind in my first session doing this, uh, uh, diversity, I'll ask them what color shirt or car they have, and they'll give me a, they'll tell me the color. So I say, you really aren't colorblind, so why are you saying that? And so you want to treat everybody the same. I say, well, if everybody's different uh, racially and culturally, you may need to rethink that. And so I said, the goal is really not uniformity, but unity. And so God brings people and races together to make them one in Christ. And so they are united as a brother and sister in Christ. But there's a difference between union, which we try to make everybody the same, and unity in which our difference actually bring that, that oneness together. Just like a marriage of a man and woman. You know, through a man and woman, you can actually create life. And of course, God has a tremendous sense of humor because putting a man and woman together can create tremendous chaos. That's why we need Gary's book. I love language. <laughs> But when they're working well together, it, together, it's it's a really a beautiful thing. So that's my whole thing on colorblind. I think it limits uh, what God intended. And I love that sticky statement. And you wrote it on page eighty nine, and I have it highlighted. The goal is not uniformity, but unity. Right. Right. Well, throughout your book, your call to action is clear: begin to seek a friendship with someone of a different race or culture. So how do you think this book prepares readers to accept this challenge? Well, I think one thing is when they read our example and see how this has impacted our lives, they'll get a sense that this is, this is much deeper than I realized. And as we share stories of other people in there, I think they'll see, hey, this is something, you know, I could do. Because I think uh, many Christians are asking today as they look at the world, you know, and the racial tensions, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do to help? Well, what we're saying is here's one thing that you can do. You can ask God to begin to guide you, not only to think about this, but to lead you to someone with whom you might begin to develop a friendship. So that's my hope. That's my desire that the book will, first of all, give them a picture of something they haven't imagined before. And then the practical things that we lay out in there and the various types of friendship and levels of friendship and all of that, what friendship looks like over the long haul, uh, all that's going to give them practical help in actually doing this. And, and there's no timetable, you know. I mean, uh, Clarence and I got closer and closer as time went on. In fact, you know, in those first few weeks there and months, we w we probably wouldn't have even said we're friends. It's just we were being friendly to each other. When he came or we picked him up or whatever for the youth meetings, we were just treating each other as friends. But as you continue to do that, it becomes a genuine friendship. Well, I think the other thing, too, and in the book, you know, I share a lot of my mistakes, uh, things I did wrong cross-culturally and just different perspectives. So I think people can learn from that as well. And also we talk in the book some time-tested principles of how different cultures, and these are, again, generalities, 
but they're fairly accurate, but you don't put everybody in that box. But how do people of different cultures and, and backgrounds sometimes process information differently? And that's really important. It's just like men and women typically process information differently. It doesn't mean superior or inferior, it just means different. So as we share a lot of these principles, as we share how God initi Christ initiated friendship with a Samaritan woman, we're hoping these principles will help alleviate some of the fear, but also encourage people, hey, like, like Gary said, I can go ahead and do this. And so that's what we think. Another loving action that helps define friendship is we can learn from each other's students and from each other's journey. So let it be an adventure as you learn about this other person, kind of their background, how they came to be. And it's, it could be really a lot of fun. And do you two have any other stories to share that illustrate the richness that God has available to us in cross-cultural friendships? You know, I was talking with a pastor while we were writing this book and asked him if he had any close personal friends of, of a different race or, or culture, and especially pastor friends. And he said, yes. And he said, I have three pastors uh, who are black pastors, and this was a white pastor that I'm really, really close to. I said, how'd that happen? He said, well, the city or the, the pastors in the city pulled together for a meeting on a Saturday morning, and we sat around different tables with, with you know, some whites and blacks and Hispanics and others. And uh, so at, around that table, uh, we got to introduce ourselves to each other, tell a little bit about ourselves. He said, so at the end, we each gave each other our phone numbers, our contact information. And he said, so I just started, I just started with it. There were three black pastors at the table, and I, uh, I called each one of them individually and asked if I could have lunch with them, just the two of us. So we got closer, you know, and then he said, I started doing that on a pretty regular basis. And, and before long, you know, I felt really close to them. They felt really close to me. So when some of the things that happen in our culture with the police and all this kind of stuff, he said, I felt totally free to call any one of those pastors and say, I did. Listen, guys, help me understand this. You know, why are people responding the way they are, et cetera, et cetera. He said, I would never have done that if we hadn't developed that friendship. I wouldn't just call a black pastor out of the clear blue and say, hey, you're a black pastor. Now, try to explain this to me, will you? you know? <laughs> You wouldn't do that. But if you've developed a friendship by having, you know, a relationship, and you say, we each pray for each other's children and all of that. So, you know, friendships start, you know, just easily with a, with a conversation. And then they go as far as either one of you or both of you would like for them to go. Yeah, and I, I just think, too, that one thing about a book I also want to share, because we haven't said it a lot, but the book is not binary. It's not just about black and white. We share experiences, Hispanic, Asian, uh, Native American. So we're really hoping that people see it as an inclusive book. Uh, but again, like at this global conference that I'm attending, because of our cultural differences, it's such a tremendous opportunity to learn. But what really binds us is our own love for Christ. And as we love the Lord, we actually learn each other. And as we get to know each other, you know, there are times we we're, we're dealing with the different truth where some of our cultures have hurt other cultures, and we learn from that. So um, it's just a really great practical way to to build friendships that I think that glorify God and that can impact our, our churches and our communities. Mm -hmm. Well, is there any other action step you would like to encourage us to take after this conversation today? You know, I, I think as you build relationships, I really do think, I said it earlier, 
I think it's important, one, that we're able to agree to disagree without losing a friendship. A lot of people today, their politics or their faith sometimes, well, I shouldn't say faith, but it's more important than, than, than the person trying to build a friendship with. So that, that really concerns me. I do think when we have different cultures coming together, there could be different theories or thoughts about things that people may need to study so they can have a good conversation with their friends. That doesn't mean you necessarily agree with that. And then sometimes, too, as you deal with cultural differences, you could explore some truths that may be painful, but God would use that to build a great relationship. So I think those are some of the the things that people can do. But the bottom line is we got to get out of our comfort zone, establish new cross-cultural friendships and pray about it and then seek to be friendly and then see what God does. And I think if those people are Christians, we're all going to spend eternity together. Mm. Wouldn't it be nice if we got acquainted down here? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good idea. Uh, We could have some unity here. So uh, I I just, uh, you know, deeply committed to the reality that life's meaning is not found in possessions. Jesus said this. Life's meaning is found in relationships. First of all, with God, nothing more important than our relationship with God. And then the family relating to people in our family, having healthy families, and then individually reaching out and building friendships with people who are not like us in one way or another. And so I think the more we do that, the greater satisfaction we have in life and the greater impact we're going to make in the lives of other people. Well, and you are both repeat guests on the Savvy Sauce. So, you know, we got our name because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge or discernment. And so as my final question for both of you today, what is your Savvy Sauce? Go first, Clarence. (laughs) I was going to tell you to go first. Uh, my My practical thought would be that I think most people want to be loved. And I think most people respond to God's love. And so what I try and do is love people with God's love and then see what happens and leave the results to him. Yeah. I think I would say if I had one suggestion to make to every Christian that may not at first seem to be related to our topic, but I think it is. That is have a daily sit down and listen time with God every Mm -hmm. single day. That is, sit down and open the Bible and say to God, I'm going to read this chapter. Anything you want me to hear, let me hear it. And you read that chapter. Underline some things that jump out at you. Have a conversation with God about those things. If you develop that as a lifestyle, daily lifestyle, chances are it's going to have an impact on how you relate to everyone, your family, as well as friends beyond the family. Well, I just want to say thank you for letting us catch a glimpse of the beautiful ways that God has worked in your lives. I believe that God's revealed to us a little bit more of his own heart through your writing and through your friendship and through your words shared with us today. It was such an honor to get to spend this time with both of you and host you as my returning guests. Well, thank you, Laura. It was good to be with you. Yes, same here. Thanks, Laura, for letting us come together. And thank you for what you do as you minister to so many people. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news. And I want to share the best news with you. 
but it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a savior. But God loved us so much, he made a way for his only son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.